Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Cara, acne can be tough. Whether your kid is just starting to get breakouts or has been struggling with them for years, there's a great product that can help. Phyla is the ultimate game changer. It tackles acne right at its root cause, rebalancing the skin's bacteria and packing it with probiotic phages. Phyla harnesses the superpowers of probiotics, tiny warriors targeting and wiping out the acne-causing bacteria. In studies, Phyla slashed acne-causing bacteria by a whopping 90%. Phyla doesn't just fix acne you can see. It stops new breakouts in their tracks. It has no harsh chemicals and won't irritate or dry most skin. Phyla's three-step system is like a dermatologist-approved magic potion. Cleanse, apply serum, and moisturize twice a day. As a special treat for our listeners, you can grab 25% off your first order of Phyla. Head over to phylabiotics.com, enter code PUBERTY at checkout, and kickstart your family's journey to acne-free skin. Check out the link in our show notes for quick access. Hi, I'm Cara Natterson. And I'm Vanessa Cole bennett Each week, we dive into the what and how of raising kids through puberty, that roller coaster of physical and emotional shifts for kids and parents alike. Combining reliable science and relatable parenting strategies, we will all learn about, laugh about, and yes, maybe even cry about adolescence, ours and theirs. So, Cara, we had a pretty fascinating thing happen this past week. Yeah, we did. (laughs) I posted a video about masturbation in response to it. It was called a stitch, which is tech-savvy terminology for when you take a piece of someone else's TikTok or reel and then you add to it. See how snazzy and millennial we are? You're very Gen Alpha. Yes. And I was responding to some actually really good advice about talking to kids about masturbation. A guest on someone else's podcast had some words of wisdom and we stitched that and just added on some additional advice about talking to kids about masturbation. And oh boy, was there a shitstorm of response. It was fascinating. It's fascinating. I mean, people have a lot of feelings about masturbation. A lot, a lot of feelings. So the reel has like 165,000 views and on TikTok, it has another 90,000. And the comments just started pouring in. The comments were at first fascinatingly accusing me of giving disturbing and troubling advice to children. And 
then as they moved on, and we can talk about this, they began to conflate advice with pornography and sort of dangerous behavior towards children. And on it just sort of, it snowballed. Yeah. So at the top, the comments, Vanessa, were about the sexualization of children as if giving very clear advice about masturbation encourages the sexualization of children. I think that's really what they boiled down to. And of course, what we're talking about, whether it's on this podcast or you on that social media clip, or frankly, the podcast that you referred to, which as you said, gave very good advice, they too fall in this bucket. No one's sexualizing kids. All that the people who are in this field are doing, knowledgeable people are doing, is they're trying to spread that wealth of knowledge and just remind people that this is a very normal path through sexual development. There are parts of the body that feel good when you touch them. This is what masturbation is. This is the definition of masturbation. There's no one, you weren't going out there saying, you should tell your kids to masturbate. This was not the advice you were giving. And by the way, children of all ages, toddlers on up, masturbate. I mean, you don't really call it masturbating when they're little. I mean, that's technically what they're doing, but they're touching themselves and they're soothing themselves and they're exploring their body. So that actually happens long before kids start in the journey towards sexual maturation and the urges, you know, spurred on by sex hormones like estrogen and testosterone. That's just like personal autonomy, body exploration. Oh, I like sucking my thumb. Oh, I like putting my hand down my pants. Like that's part of what was fascinating about the reaction to the comments. What I love hate about social media We, you, I, it's usually you, you're much better at going onto social media than I am, but you can't respond to everyone. You can't, it's not a forum that's meant to be offense, defense, and it's impossible. But what happened in this particular post and happens so often on the medium is that other people start to answer the call and there's a bigger, more general debate. And that's what I liked about it. So it's stressful to see these comments come up because then you think, you know, have I put myself in an unsafe position by putting this content out there? But we've done this enough to know that there's usually a point where other comments roll in and other people on the platform will start to answer in really thoughtful, meaningful ways in response to these negative comments. And one of the questions that we got or comments that we got, it was actually a question was from someone who said, I am a Christian and I know that kids touch themselves, but my religion tells us that it's wrong. And someone else had a really thoughtful answer to that conundrum that this person was bringing up. Yeah. So it's an amazing thing to watch the comment thread. We learn from the comments. I want to make that super clear. We're not looking for yes people out there and people who just agree with us. So often someone will bring up a comment like that that's incredibly eye-opening. It makes you put your feet in someone else's shoes and rethink a question from a totally different perspective, which is so, so, so important as we all try to raise kids, right? Because so much is about our teeny tiny little microcosm of our house, but so much more is about the broader swath of 
what kids in general are getting in all the different experiences. So that was a great example of someone who wasn't coming up to say, you're so great, I agree with everything you're saying, but was asking a question and posing an idea in a very thoughtful, very respectful way. And what happened was the community responded. The community responded by saying, this is my thought on it. And they responded in a thoughtful and respectful way. And that's an incredible thing. Yeah. I mean, there were other examples where people were deriding the fact that we were talking about masturbation. And we can, we can get into well, this let's a go little there. bit. Yeah. Let's go there. So there were a few places people went and you referred to this earlier, but we can go into it in more depth, which is, and this accusation comes up on virtually any topic where you encourage people to talk to kids about their body, to teach them anatomy, to talk to them about sex and safety and all of that, which is don't talk to them about this stuff because you're sexualizing them and it's gross and you are encouraging them to do things that they shouldn't be doing. So I think we want to start there, which is, and we've said this a gazillion times before, but everyone who listens to this podcast knows that teaching kids the names of their body parts is protective, meaning it helps protect them from sexual abuse and predators. It gives them a sense of bodily autonomy. It gives them voice and language to talk about their health and their safety and to protect themselves from people who shouldn't touch them and have no right to, but might try to anyways. And I want to extend that to say that, yes, the data is about body parts, but it's very clear that Working those body parts and understanding the language and terminology around that is also protective. It's sort of a by extension. If you understand the definition of the word sex, if you understand the different kinds of sex, if you understand what is and isn't safe about sex, those are not particularly well documented in the literature in the way that the body parts are documented in terms of protection. So when kids know body parts, we know it protects them. But it's a by extension idea that, yeah, when they understand what consensual sex is, then they know when to report non-consensual behavior. So all of these things are meant to educate, but also to protect. And that's what you were actually sort of high-fiving in your stitch was that, that there are people out there who do what we do. And there are people out there who come from totally different perspectives and all of them are just trying to keep kids safe and healthy. And in general, giving kids information, talking to them about stuff doesn't encourage them to go out and do it. In fact, in the case of sex, we actually know there is data that tells us that kids who know more about what sex is and the different kinds of sex and all that actually are more likely to delay having sex I don't think there's data on masturbation, but in terms of teaching kids about what they can do with their bodies, what their bodies do, it doesn't mean you're encouraging them. It only gives them some understanding of why they want to do what they want to do or not. But specific to masturbation, and we did this in a prior episode, if you start getting comfortable talking to your kids about the concept of masturbation, which is a steep climb for a lot of people and understandably so. But then and only then can you actually have the conversations that go to, 
is it safe to masturbate with this object? Or what happens if, you know, X, Y, and Z occur after I masturbate? Like kids have questions, right? And so the example that we used on another podcast was the machine called the Theragun, which is uh, meant for sort of a local muscle deep tissue massage. It's like, it looks like a, a little gun shape, but it has this large bulbous head on it. And it kind of goes back and forth and gives you a massage on a muscle and runners use it, and, you know, athletes use it and, and all sorts of people love the Theragun. And you brought up that, you know, people have asked us in many people, many in DMs and emails and all sorts of outreach. What do you do if your kid uses a Theragun to masturbate? Right. This is not one rando question. It comes up more often than anyone would think. And so again, to your point about safety, let's just go to safety. Yep. If you can't have the conversation about what masturbation is in the first place, then you definitely can't have the conversation about why it's not safe to use an object that is designed for a large muscle on a piece of soft tissue, right? If it's meant for your, you know, hamstring and you're using it on your clitoris, you could get hurt. So, and the whole that. thing is, and the question that we get from listeners or people in workshops is different than the tone on social media. But the point is, if you don't talk about it, you can't teach them how to do it safely, not how to do it period, but how to take care of the body parts that are involved in masturbation, right? Like a clitoris is part of the vulva, the skin and tissue around the vulva is very thin. It's very sensitive. It can be torn easily. You know, you have to take really good care of it. But if you never yeah. talk to a kid about that, sometimes people like to touch themselves and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with it. But I just want to make sure you know that like, Part of your safety is about how you take care of different parts of your body, how you take totally. care of a scrape on your knee, how you don't stick a Q-tip deep into your ear, and Sorry. how you don't use certain <laughs> objects on the very sensitive skin around your vulva. So it's just like we say, everybody should know every part of their body. Everybody should also know how to take care of every part of their body. If you listen to enough of our episodes, you'll hear us preach the importance of air, particularly down there. Airing out body parts reduces sweatiness, stinkiness, and skin irritation. And it feels amazing to air it all out after a long day in tight, sweaty clothes. Which is why we created the Oom Short. Super soft, lightweight, with wide legs and a low crotch. All help air flow. Designed for all genders in all sizes, literally down to kids extra small and up to men's extra large. Everyone who wears them tells us they've never been so comfy. Get your shorts at myoomla.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Vanessa, we literally have three minutes to eat lunch every day. I am not joking. And the challenge is how to make it delicious and healthy and still fit into that tiny window. Our answer is factors ready to eat meals. They have been a godsend. 
We throw our factor meals in the microwave. It takes two minutes and out comes a gorgeous, fresh, never frozen meal. We both love the tamale vegetarian one. It's delish. There's a ton of options every week. There's 60 add-ons, breakfast, snacks, beverages. I love doing the wellness shots with my kids. They think it's hilarious. And I know they're getting vitamins and minerals in their bodies. So get meals on your table or at your desk in two minutes or less. Factor meals eliminate the hassle of prepping, cooking, and cleaning. You can customize with flexibility to get as much or as little as you need, and you can press pause or reschedule depending upon your lifestyle. So to order, go to factormeals.com slash puberty50 and use the code puberty50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That code is puberty50 at factormeals.com slash puberty50 to get 50% off your first box, 20% off your next box. And I am going to go do that right now because I need more factor meals in my refrigerator. Cara, lately I have been lying awake at night. I'm physically exhausted, but I can't sleep because my mind is so wired with everything going on between work and my family. So I've added magnesium breakthrough to my nightly routine and it actually helps calm my mind. It helps me get better sleep and I wake up feeling better rested. I'm less cranky and I'm more patient with my family and with you. Oh, I've noticed. And it's because unlike other magnesium supplements that might give one or two formulations of magnesium, Magnesium Breakthrough has seven. That's why you're sleeping so well and waking up refreshed. Now, dietary supplementation is always best, Vanessa. So that means eating your minerals and vitamins is the best way to get them in. But if you can't or you don't get enough, Magnesium Breakthrough is the way to go. It can also help digestion, though too much helps your digestion too much, which is not a good thing. It can support muscle recovery. So bye-bye, Charlie horses. And it helps build dense bones, which is especially important for women approaching and in menopause. We have an exclusive offer for our listeners. You can go to buyoptimizers.com slash puberty, B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S.com slash puberty. And you can use the code PUBERTY10 during checkout to save 10%. That promo code is PUBERTY10 at bioptimizers.com slash puberty. Your body and brain and family and business partner will thank you. Can we go from here to the next conversation? Yes. <laughs> you know where I'm going. I know so where you're going. In this particular social media post, but also just frankly in life, Vanessa, a lot of people who are not loving having this conversation about masturbation go to this place where they conflate conversations about masturbation with porn. So do you want to kind of explain how people get there? Because I, this is said with no judgment. This is sort of really meant to help people untangle those two things because they really don't have anything to do. I mean, they, I understand where the crossover is and you're about to explain it, but they really don't have that much to do with each other. That worry of conflating those two things should not stop the conversation. So why don't you explain a little bit about how this goes? So in modern society, and we did a whole episode on this if you need a, a rehash on the data, but the most recent survey done by Common Sense Media tells us that of 3,500 high school students between the ages of 13 and 17, 
15% of 10-year-olds had been exposed to porn as 10-year-olds. The average age of exposure to porn is now 12 years old and lots more data. Okay, wait. So I want to say that again. In this survey of 3,500 kids between 13 and 17, the surveyors asked, when did you first see porn? So the kids were between 13 and 17 and 15% of them said, I saw it when I was 10. So they weren't asking 10-year-olds. They were asking teenagers to reflect back. But a full 15% said, I saw it when I was 10. And then more than half of them had seen it by the time they were 12. Correct. And we do know, based on that survey and a lot of other research, that lots of kids and adolescents and young adults and adults use pornography to masturbate. They watch it, they look at it, and we know there are a lot of risks if people rely on pornography to masturbate. But we also know that a lot of people watch pornography regularly and use that as a sort of erotic or titillating way to masturbate. Now, the Common Sense Media report did not ask kids about masturbation and didn't ask them if they masturbate while watching porn. But the frequency of porn watching, one has to imagine that not only were they watching porn, but they were often masturbating to porn. Right. And when you, let me just go back to this one little comment you tucked in there, which was about the risk. So the risks are, you know, really, it's hard to tease these apart, but the risks really that we're talking about are the risks of being exposed to violent and aggressive porn, non-consensual modeling, if you will, that then may translate into violent, aggressive, non-consensual behavior later in life. Like when we look at risk with porn, I think that's a fair summary of what we're worried about. And that's not the only risk. So first of all, that's true of people of all genders. And we know that there is a lot of subjugation of females in porn. We know that there's subjugation of racial and ethnic minorities in porn. And so it's not just people who are that's right. perpetrating violent and aggressive sexual behavior towards their partners because of porn, but it's also people who are permitting themselves to be treated that way because They've watched porn and they believe that that's how sex works. On top of that, we also know that people who watch a lot of porn and rely on porn in order to masturbate rely on increasingly more extreme versions of porn in order to orgasm. And on top of that, they are sometimes unable to orgasm or have sexual intimacy with real life partners because they are so dependent on the very extreme versions of porn that they have evolved into watching. Right. They become, essentially, they become tolerant. Yeah. Like desensitized. Yes. And so what happens is, and this explains this sort of vicious cycle of the escalation of violence and aggression in porn, is that in order to keep the viewers interested, right? The pornography industry has figured out that they just have to keep upping the ante. And that is that is what's happening. So that is a fair framing of the risk. Okay, now let's let's untangle what our conversations about masturbation have to do with 
porn watching. So people who freaked out when we encourage people to have a very basic rudimentary conversation with kids about how to safely touch their bodies, i.e. wash your hands and don't do it out in public. And that's basically the gist of it. Oh, and don't use a Theragun. They are coming at it from the perspective of adults who see masturbation and porn inextricably linked with each other. Whereas a three-year-old who has figured out it feels nice to touch themselves in the bath doesn't even know what the conception of porn is. But people coming at it from an adult perspective, from a perspective of where our society is around pornography and masturbation, they're projecting that onto a a very innocent conversation about teaching kids about their bodies. And I would even call it an innocent projection. I would say that there is some group of people who is really trying to educate themselves about porn and about porn exposure, and they're raising these kids, and they have some stress around it. They have merged these two concepts in their mind, right? And they have heard about masturbation, and they have heard about porn and all these risks of porn. And so it is as important when you're a health educator, it's as important to connect concepts and say this causes this or this is correlated with this as it is to disconnect concepts. And I think in this podcast, what we want to do more than anything is help people disconnect the concept of healthy conversations about masturbation with kids versus the conversations about pornography, which may also include masturbation with kids. That those are they're both important sets of conversations, but they're very, very different. And masturbation is a concept that spans both of them. And I want to be clear here. We understand that people come from all different cultures and all different religions and all different upbringings, and that it can feel really uncomfortable. And frankly, it can feel more than uncomfortable. It can feel like a violation of your beliefs of your faith. And we get that. Talking about it yes, is not going to cause your kid to do it. We know that. That's like the truism of all truisms when it comes to sex and health education. But not talking about it also has no bearing on whether or not your kid does it. Like, Correct. Not talking about it doesn't drive your kid to do it and doesn't drive your kid not to. It just... It doesn't change the game at all. So you're you're leaving your kid out there sort of vulnerable to all these other influences. And if you want someone else to educate your kid on this subject, then not talking about it is the way to go. And making your kid feel like their curiosity and urges are wrong and shameful. If you don't talk about it, that's a surefire way to make sure that your kid feels like there's something wrong with them for being curious about their body. So I think, Cara, now that we have told people that it's important to talk about it and that it helps keep kids safe and that there are ways to have the conversation where you're not teaching a kid how to masturbate, because again, every kind of sexual journey a person goes on, that is their own personal journey. They will figure out what feels right and safe and comfortable to them. And that's not our job. It's not parents' job. But we can help set up some boundaries, some parameters, some language. Like no Theragun. Like no Theragun. But we got a wonderful question from someone, which was, how do I say 
no Theragun without conferring shame on my kid's curiosity to touch their own body, which is like the heart of the question. But we all, this is the collective, if you're listening you're in the collective. We all know in our heart what the answer to that is. And the answer to that has everything to do with explaining the why. Right. Right. It's a, again, a yes, no, yes. Yes. It's absolutely fine to touch your body. No, it's not safe to do it with a Theragun because the force that the Theragun uses can cause harm. But yes, you can figure out other ways to feel good. Right. Yes, no, yes my favorite approach. Our position is your job as a parent is to just make sure they understand that it's a normal thing to be interested in and that here's how you take care of your body. And the last thing I will say on the kind of required conversations as opposed to how different families will choose to explore, you know, dealing with all the different ways that they're caring for a kid is informed by their own backgrounds, their own communities, their own cultures. We interviewed Danielle Bizalel and she talked about when you talk about masturbation, you want to make sure people know if it gets in the way of their like daily life, that it's happening too much, right? Because the question often happens like how much is too much? What we know And this gets gendered also, but like we know, you know, about teenage boys and middle school boys spending hours in the shower or hours in the bathroom. And, you know, in places where water is scarce, we obviously want to be careful about how long we are in the shower. But her point was like, you just let them know if it's getting in the way of daily living, if they're not getting to school in time, if they're missing sports practice, then, you know, there's a gentle way to have that conversation with your kid. So Kara, we will do more on this. It comes up all the time. It's such a tough and fraught topic. And we get that like, it's hard and it's, people are very elevated about it. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't have straightforward and clear conversations with kids about it. But share with us, if you have ways that have worked for you to have this conversation, share them with us. We would love to pass those tips along to the community. We are always looking to learn, and especially on this topic, a topic that really more than anything else under the umbrella of sex couldn't be discussed for such a long time. Yep. You know, those of you who have ways through, we would love to hear them. Good luck. You can do this. Bye, Vanessa. Bye, Cara. Thanks so much for listening. You can follow us anywhere you get your podcasts or check out our Instagram at The Puberty Podcast. If you have questions or stories to share, email us at thepubertypodcast at gmail.com. And for more puberty info, check out myoomla.com or dynamogirl.com. Bye. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? 
Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.